Well, you know what? I was just going to be thankful for everybody that's done everything and just the the love that, you know, we've had since we've been here. And really it's been, we have gone into, like Lynn said, we've walked into brick walls already because, you know what? Nobody was praying before we got there. And here it's just been like sweet, <laughs> sweet like a honeycomb. Yeah, but it's been really, really sweet. So, you know, and everybody's just been so kind and nice, and it's just, we're just family. So, you know what? It's we're, it's God's kind of family. See, you ever been in a family where people just get together and argue? <laughs> I don't like that kind of family. But anyhow, God's family loves. So, But you know what? Before... Before I start talking about love, because that's what I really want to talk about tonight, I just have to say, my son, if he's here today, you got to hear him speak, but see, he is the fruit of my loom, okay? <laughs> I know, he's the fruit of my loom. His dad was quite the character. He was really funny. But uh, Lynn, I always say it's, it's, I'm just surprised I survived his childhood because he, <laughs> he had such a creative mind and uh, he did such ornery things, not bad things. He was never a bad kid. He was just ornery. There's not little kids in here tonight, right? Okay. Okay. But see, he became a superhero. <laughs> yeah. He became a superhero at an early age. And... Um, yeah, he was he was a superhero. And then he would blame, you know, blame shifting. He would do things like he took the black felt tip pen and at one point I actually had a china closet and I had this beautiful imported uh goldenware. It was imported from Germany. It was so beautiful. It looked more beautiful with that black felt tip pen on that just wouldn't come off. I know. Mm. Anyhow, yeah, he uh, he was like three and a half, and he but uh, all over the the nice newly painted wall, we had you know all this little scribbling stuff, and then open the china closet. Why not just scribble? scribble. <laughs> but you know what he said? I mean, he was the only one. There was just my husband, and myself. I didn't have my daughter at that point yet. I was pregnant with her, but he said Batman made him do it. <laughs> Yeah, Batman made him do it. And I'm like, no. See, God was working love into me then because I didn't kill him. But so Batman made him do it. And Batman made him do a lot of things. And then one day, like <laughs> Mother's Day, I was outside. I was very pregnant with my daughter. And I'm outside planting all these beautiful flowers, you know. <laughs> so I got my big fat belly down, you know, my hands and knees and planting all these beautiful flowers. And a few days later, we had, you know, a nice fenced-in yard so he could play outside and, you know, I could see him from the window. However, obviously, I must have had my back turned because where my beautiful flowers were, they were all laying, like, with the roots up and the hot sun beating down on them. I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm like, oh. like, what have you done? He said, Batman made me do it. I said, next time Batman makes you do anything, he's going to die because I had it. You know, that was it. That was it. But so it wasn't it wasn't long after that. Yeah. It wasn't long after that. So I have my daughter and she's about 
maybe five weeks old, something like that. And um, so I have her, I have the kids out in the backyard. I have the little playpen out there. Like I said, she's about five weeks old. She's in the little playpen sleeping. We had an above ground pool. And this was an old home, so they had one of those, what do they call it, the TV tower? TV tower, of course it didn't work, but anyhow, so it's next to the pool, and I turn around, I think I'm replanting flowers. Anyhow, I turn just to see, he has climbed up this tower, and he goes, head first, you know, diving into the pool, except he lands like this, okay? straddles it. I thought I had two girls at that point. So he, str <laughs> he straddles the pool, hits his head. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my gosh, we lived 29 years. We lived two blocks from a hospital. So here I am. I've got baby in this arm, him in the other. I called my husband quick and I said, meet me at the hospital. You know, Lynn's had an accident. So we are going... <laughs> I'm trucking on over there with these two little people, you know, and okay, so anyhow, so we're in there, and they, they, you know, you know how they have these little nighties for the, for old folks, they do this for little people too, so here he is on the little gurney out in the hall, they're going to take x-rays of his head, you know, make sure everything's, I am not sure he was ever right after that, but anyhow, <laughs> or before, but anyhow, so he's on this little gurney, and they're, they're going through a series of questions for him, you know, make sure he's okay. So they ask him, <laughs> they said, what is your mommy's name? And he said, Winnie Witch. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what he thought of me. Yeah, I was Winnie Witch. <laughs> What's your daddy's name? And he said, Fat Albert. <laughs> I said, oh, my gosh. I mean, there, you can see these nurses going, like, something's wrong with this kid. <laughs> Was it your sister they asked next? Or you? The, okay. And they said to him, well, what is your name? He got up on his knees, his, the little backside of that, you know, gown. is So his little hiney sticking out. But he's got his hands on his hips, and he said, I'm Aquaman, king of the seven seas. <laughs> now... Sixth floor was a psych ward. I think this is ready to take him up there. <laughs> but then they said, okay. And they said, uh, what's your baby sister's name? And he said, Kimberly Ann Coast. I said, oh, thank God. <laughs> he hadn't thought of a superhero for her yet. I mean, we were, yeah. But he, he gave up, you know, he became sheriff. Bing, 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 a ricochet rabbit. And at school... You know, when he got old enough to go to school, I mean, honest to goodness, we would get phone calls about funny things, not bad things, but he wanted to be Spider-Man. <laughs> this is what, first grade, second grade? Yeah, his first grade teacher quit that year. That, she resigned after that year. <laughs> and then, yeah, second year... He had his little Spider-Man, you know, lunchbox, and he's out on the playground. He said, it aside, and he took the other kids' lunchboxes, and he stacked them up, and he scaled. He crawled up as far as he could and scaled the side of that brick building to where he could crawl over onto the first roof. So I get a phone call. <laughs> well, it was Spider-Man, you know, but when he got... <laughs> 
when he got to the other side, I mean, the, the playground teachers were afraid to holler at him because he'd lose his balance and fall, I guess. And then, <laughs> but there's his, what was her name, Mrs. Barr? She was like a drill sergeant in the Marine Corps. She was standing there waiting for him, grabbed hold of him. She used to send, you know, notes home pinned to his back. <laughs> so, yeah. But see, you know what? It was really funny. <laughs> but see, really, you know, it was, it was his gift. <laughs> Yeah, just wait. He's got three little girls and one, one on the way, so just you wait. <laughs> when, the, when his girls do something, now I say, oh, you never did anything like that. <laughs> Don't you ever scold them. Uh, but see, you know what, really, it was his creativity. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure God was working patience in me. I used to have this problem where I would lose my voice for weeks at a time. The kids loved it. <laughs> no, but you know what? I had a wooden spoon. All I had to do was shake it out. <laughs> oh, okay, well, gee whiz. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You're preparing me what? Oh, he said he was preparing me for Bob. <laughs> oh, God was working love in me then. Yes, yes. I, I did read murder was a sin. <laughs> so, oh, anyhow. Well, it was fun. It was fun growing up with Lynn. So, and now look at, look at him. Do you know what? No, I will say that he's been a really awesome son. And years ago, I was going through a really, really, really difficult time. And you know, he just sat in the living room, or actually in the kitchen, and he just held me on his lap, put his arms around me. He's like those big old tree trunk arms, you know, and he just said, you're my little mommy. You know, you're just my little mommy, and he just loved me. And it was just like the Lord loving me, so he's really been sweet. And, and so, and he's a good traveling companion. <laughs> no, we have lots of fun together, so anyhow. Okay, well, now I had, did everybody enjoy those funny stories? Say, yeah. yeah. See, if, if I wouldn't have had him, I wouldn't have these funny stories to tell. But uh, it was a blast. So anyhow, well, I really did want to talk to you about love tonight. How about that? Okay. Oh, God, thank you for love. Thank you for your gift of son, your gift of your son, Jesus Christ, for he is love and you are love. And we are your children, so we are love. We are, you know what, I like to say that I am God's love child because, you know, he gave his very best, and we are his children. We're Jesus' sisters and brothers, right? We're joint heirs with him, so we have to be, we have to be love also. We're all vessels of love. <clears throat> but I wanted to share with you tonight, actually, um, this Did You Learn to Love is... We wrote that to commemorate Bob's 40th anniversary of his death experience, 1975. So in 2010, Lynn and I sat down and did an in-depth interview with him regarding that because, I mean, it was a real thing that happened. And, you know, when somebody tells a story, you know, like something like this, they, you get bits and pieces. And from time to time, you know, they tell one part, and it's always like the main theme, but you get a piece here and a piece there. And, and I wanted like 
all the juicy details. You know, where were you? He gave us the route number he was on and exactly where he was. You know, I didn't know. And, but, you know, this was back in um, August the 6th, actually, is when the Lord, August the 6th of 75, is when the Lord came into his vehicle as a ball of light when he was driving. He and Viola and their dog. And Bob said that the whole experience took about 20 minutes. And, you know, he said, I don't know how, but, you know, he just kept driving. And, the, and Viola, and, of course, the dog didn't, you know, know anything. They didn't see anything. So this was, you know, God can do anything he wants. And how all these things happen, I don't know. But anyhow, the revelation came to him. The, the Lord came to him as this ball of light and spoke to Bob about uh, three different things. One was about abortion. One was about homosexuality, the homosexual disease. And the other one was about um, these two cheap chemicals that would be mixed together, and they'd call them the meth labs. So he really began to talk to him about these things. And he told Bob to take this message to the church, okay? And um, hang on a minute. You know, Bob was a lot, lot like Timothy. <laughs> he was obedient. So... Find the right thing. Probably won't find what I'm looking for now. Be patient with me. Okay. The Lord said that they were going to begin to perfect abortion on a scale that had never been heard of before. Now, this was 1975. He said that the last stages of abortion would be a pill, and it would be invented by the devil, and that, and they would call it an abortion pill, and women would take it and would abort the child. And what would it do to the child? It would push or disconnect the child away from the womb, and the child would literally die by starvation. <clears throat> he said, every one of these things that I do will bring judgment against it, and as it is put, as it push the baby away from the wall to starve it, he, being the Lord, would push the nation back from him and starve them. So see, there was a, he went on to talk about the um, abortion and how that it was according to the gods that were worshipped in ancient Israel, the god Molech. Um, so he talked about abortion, about the meth labs, and the homosexual disease he said there would be, um, he said he began to tell me about ab abortion and homosexuals were going to come out of the closet because at that time they were still in the closet. He said the homosexuals were going to demonstrate in the streets and in the capital of this nation and literally they would make it like homosexual, homosexuality was normal. Is that a true word today? He said that there would be judgment come upon them. It was a virus that couldn't be healed, and he called it a homosexual disease. He said, tell them that if they don't want this disease, then don't 
have any part of the sin. Said that five million homosexuals would be dying by this disease by the year 2000 that would double year by year until they repent of that sin. Well, this was 1975. And the Lord told him to take that message to the church. Okay, because he wanted repentance to be made for these sins. Well, you know what? I mean, we didn't know about AIDS back then. Didn't have the abortion pill. Yeah, I mean, these things were unheard of back then. So he went to the church. He brought the word that night. And the next day, um, well, it was actually on the 8th, he went to, when he went to work, he and his son, they were doing tree trimming. He went to do this job, and he became very ill. And he said, like, from his waist down, he became, like, like a stone. He couldn't move. So his son took him to the the hospital they didn't know what was wrong with them but they said you know <laughs> Bob said if I'm going to die you know I want to die in my own bed so they went home and he began this uh, like bleeding from the mouth he said it was like a geyser coming out of his mouth and he tied a rag around his head and he's you know in his room and I don't know maybe Viola didn't like blood I probably would have been there in the room with him but you know God had this all figured out his wife was out in the other room but a demon came to him because the demon had said, you know, he was going to kill him. He said, you know, if you can preach and everything, but if you bring that word, he said, I'll kill you. And Bob said, I'm, you're not my, I'm not your property. I belong to the Lord. And it was after that, that's when this happened. Okay. So now here he is and the, he actually died. He's in his bed and he actually died. And he goes before the Lord. And I think he was talking about this a little bit yesterday but he goes before the lord and what he says there was like two tunnels coming out bob came out of a tunnel of white light and into white light where this other out of this other tunnel it was a dark tunnel and these people were coming up out of this dark tunnel and they would be like on rollers like you'd see at a grocery store so you're either going into eternal light or eternal darkness and as each person in the line before Bob, the Lord was standing there. He was bright light within bright light with these blue eyes that were like deep pools, you know, endless pools of blue. And each person ahead of Bob, the Lord would ask them, did you learn to love? He says, the only question, did you learn to love? So... Like the first lady, um, she was a very large black lady. And he said, did you learn to love? Now, you see, God is a spirit and you are a spirit. When you stand before the holy God, you can only speak. Your spirit will speak. This doesn't work anymore, okay? So she said, her spirit said, yes, Lord. She sure loved the Lord. She loved. She learned how to love. And he kissed her. He's, it's like his heart opened up like big double doors, and he kissed her on the lips, and in she went into the Lord. And all these angels, there's like a thousand angels, went with her. And Bob asked, the, the Holy Spirit was beside him, 
okay? So you don't make this trip alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. So he asked the Holy Spirit, why were there so many angels? And he said, well, she was a great evangelist. And she, the angels were there to do the word. They assisted her in all, everything. You know you have angels. I think we talked here a little bit about angels. We all have them. And Bob would say they're on the unemployment line because you're not asking them to help. So, 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 you know, come on. I believe it, and I see it. Trust me, that one that poked her finger in my face, you know, I know. They are real. So anyhow, he kissed her in the, on the mouth, on the lips, and in she went into his heart, and then there was a little girl. She was, I think, 11 years old. And he said, did you learn to love? And she said, oh, yes, Lord. And now the Holy Spirit would explain to him what the situation was. She became crippled, and she was bedfast the last four years of her life. But she spent all of her time in bed praying for the saints. So see, her life, what God had called her to do in her life, she had completed at that young age. So, but she said, oh, yes, Lord, she loved him and kissed her on the mouth and into his heart she went. Now, the lady right in front of Bob, she was like 93 years old. She was crippled really bad from arthritis. And he said to her, did you learn to love? Now, remember, he's not asking, did you pay your taxes or how much money did you make or how many degrees did you get or how many people did you get saved? It's, did you learn to love? Did you learn to become like me? Did you learn to love? And she said, Yes, Lord, only you. See, she spoke truth. He said, yes, you did. You loved me, but you didn't love anybody else because you became widowed when you was very young. You loved me, but you bit the heads of the saints off. You went to church all the time, but you never loved anybody else. See, it's really important that we learn it's not just enough to love him. It's to be like him and share his love with others, okay? So he said he would take her in, but she would get no rewards. So it's really important that we share his love. We want to love him, but be like him and share that with others. So now, you know, he kissed her on the lips and in she went. And now it was Bob's turn. And Bob said, oh, man, I was puckered up and waiting for my kiss. <laughs> I can just picture him doing that, you know. He's okay, Bob's ready. I'm living proof. He liked to kiss. <laughs> Anyhow, so the Lord said, stop. He said, the devil killed you before your time. And Bob, he said he wanted to send Bob back. And Bob said, oh, I was, you know, I was persecuted down there. And the Lord said, yeah, well, you always had a cowardly nature. You know? <laughs> but he said, well, you know, people, people really persecuted me. He said, it was, it was hard. And he, the Lord said, look, the words that you brought, they were my words, and they never failed. And he, said, he told Bob he wanted him to go back. And Bob really didn't want to. And the Lord said, if you look at this other line and you still want to come in, he said, you, I'll take you in. So Bob looked at this other line. Now, remember, it's the line that's coming up out of eternal, coming out of darkness and going into eternal darkness. Bob said that, now, I, I understand what I'm saying at that day and at that time, okay? 
98% of the people that died right then was in that line. Only 2% was in his line. Okay? But he looked at that line, and the things that he saw really made him sick. Because whatever you worship, whatever your God is on this earth, is what you will spend all of eternity with. And he saw people that were, like their heads were sticking out of whiskey bottles or beer bottles because alcohol was their God. Some was wrapped in money because money, that's what they worshipped. Some had needles sticking out of them because they were junkies. They couldn't live without their, they couldn't live without their next fix. Okay, and the one, uh, the, uh, one was wrapped in uh, like sod because he worshipped his um, his lawn. Okay, so there are other things, but I mean that's kind of main things. And he said the one he saw was like a thousand pound pumpkin. It was just a head. And Pop said to the Holy Spirit, "What is that?" And he said, "Oh, he's an atheist. He worshipped himself." And each one of the people, as they were going forward into eternal darkness, they couldn't help but see this beautiful, bright light. They had the witness of Jesus. And each one of them was confessing, I, I did hear about him. He is real. I mean, they had, at some time in their life, somebody told them about Jesus. So they knew he was real. But see, it was too late then. There's nothing that they could do. You have to make that decision before you die. So they were going into eternal darkness. But Bob looked back at the Lord, and he said, Lord, I'll go back for one soul. And he said, no. He said, I want to send you back for a billion-soul harvest. And he told Bob he would live to see the beginning of that billion-soul harvest and the beginning of the return of the glory. So, like, I'm saying like that, you know, Bob was back in his body, and he was still in a lot of pain. And to get the rest of that story, you have to read the book. <laughs> Bob was really surprised. He thought, you know, he thought that he would be without pain, but he really wasn't. It, he talks about how people began praying for him and how the Lord raised him up out of that time. But he continued. That was 1975. His message to the church was just what the Lord told him to teach. He wanted... Bob to raise up the leadership in the church and bring the message, did you learn to love? Because God is love, and we must learn to walk in his likeness to be those vessels of love. Wasn't that a good story? There's, there's, <laughs> there's, a, lot, there's a lot more. I gave you kind of the, the basics. There's a lot more to it, but um, that's the basics. But... Um, we really, all of us, need to learn to love. And like I said, it, the thing that really impacted me, probably most of all in that story, is the old lady that learned to love the Lord, but she never loved anybody else. And I said, I don't know how you can go through life not loving other people. You know, I have found it impossible not to love people. I've tried not to. I told you the other last night, I guess it was, about the young man that the Lord told me I had to love, and I argued with him and said I couldn't. But see, he proved me wrong. You know, every every place that he would send me or whatever, he would put somebody look just like this young man right in my face, you know. And 
the one place I was living in North Dakota, and this young kid, he was only 18 years old, he was six foot 10. He was the nicest, kindest, loving kid I've ever known. And he looked exactly like this man that was so nasty to me. And I thought, you know what? God was really showing me that this is how he sees that man that was so nasty to me. He sees him like this young man, just full of love. Okay? So, okay. Now, some things I want to say about regarding love is love prefers others first. You know, we do, you were talking about babies and how they're born selfish, you know. I mean, you don't have to train them to be selfish or whatever. They just, it's nature. They think about me. I need a bottle. I need a diaper change. I need this, that, and, you know, okay. And we tend to be that way too. But do you ever think about other people's needs ahead of yours? That's one, one way we can really learn to love is by loving others first. Hey, it helps if I look at the first page. <laughs> first page first. It's written in red. Love and trust go hand in hand. Because the more we love the Lord, the more we trust him, the more we trust him, the more we love him. He cannot love us any more than what he does. You know, it's impossible. He is love. He's total love. So he can't love us anymore. But we can always love more. If I mess up, you tell me. Okay. <laughs> I don't know about that. Love leads to obedience. Okay. If you love the Lord... Remember I was talking about we want to hear his voice, but part of hearing his voice is obeying it. And if you love him, you're going to want to. You have that desire in your, to please him. You know, did you ever see little kids and how, you know, they just, they want to copy after mom and daddy. You know, they want to do what mom and daddy do. And they want to do things to please, you know, and that's how we are. God really wants to bless us with the fullness of everything that he has. But it's important that we obey him. So our love, loving him, loves, leads to obedience. Love is like the oil on wheels of obedience. <laughs> you like that? It causes us to run with him. And it's our desire for intimacy with him. So we really desire to be obedient. Love is a universal key that unlocks the heart. It's the tool for salvation. You know, if you, you can love somebody to life. I say that about Mother Teresa. You can really love somebody to life. You know, do you ever hear somebody say, well, something like scared him, scared him to death. Well, you know, scare him to life. If, if somebody came to witness to you and they were all grumbly and everything, you probably wouldn't want to hear. But you know what? I just, I love how the Lord has worked through me. You know, I, he sent me on trips. And most of, most of my trips were that I had to drive. But 
when I was on a plane, I'd pray about who I was going to sit beside. And sometimes I got people that didn't know Jesus at all, and they did by the time we got to our destination. <laughs> I know the first guy I was talking to, you know what? I grew up in Canton, Ohio, home of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And see, God used that as a tool. Men generally like football. And if they stuck by me, well, you can use that as a tool to unlock that key, you know, unlock that door to their heart and start talking about football. And, oh, Jesus is into football, you know. Somehow, it doesn't matter what, you can always talk about Jesus, okay? And it's just the love in you that's going to unlock whatever it is. You know, ask the Lord, what's going on with this person? How can I unlock his heart through love, okay? They just get stuck with me. So, love is forgiveness. You know, if you don't love others and forgive them, God can't forgive you. You think about that? That's tough. But it's true. That's what the Bible says, Matthew 6, 15. If you don't forgive others, God can't forgive you. Forgive. Even if you know that you are totally right and they're totally wrong, you know what? Forgive. The Lord told me once that I had not forgiven a certain person. And I said, oh, Lord, I did years ago. And he said, no, you didn't. You forgave with your lips but not your heart. I said, oh, gosh, <laughs> what do I do now because this person's dead? So he told me, he said, ask me to forgive you. Forgive that person, and then you forgive yourself. See, I had to ask, I had to forgive myself for holding that unforgiveness in me, you know. You know, the Lord loves us so much. He wants to show us everything in us that is holding us back or, you know, making any kind of a little uh, wedge between him and, and me. Once he took me, he said, you know, your past is your past. And he took me back to the womb and showed me, you know, there was things spoken over me when I was in my mother's womb. So I forgave my mother for that. Okay. And then when I was like first grade, this is, it's funny but I didn't know I had unforgiveness towards my first grade teacher. But honest to goodness, I know, 50 years later he shows me this. But uh, <laughs> no, you know what happened was my parents had moved. So I'm in first grade, and I used to take the school bus. Now my parents moved to a different school district, but they kept me in that school. But my stepdad would have to pick me up after school on his way home from work, but I had to miss like the last 45 minutes of school. So my teacher, and I really liked her, but she'd take me out in the hall and give me a paddling every day. I was glad when the school year was over, but anyhow, I did not know that I was holding unforgiveness in her, in me, toward her, but the Lord knew it. So when he showed me that, I forgave her. And it's like he took me in different segments of my life all the way up to, you know, if there were school teachers, if there was classmates, if there were, you know, my parents, my stepdad, you know, um, teachers, bosses, whoever, siblings, whoever it was, okay? 
all those. There was one person that I couldn't even think of. It was such a terrible experience. I couldn't think of that person's name. And I just said, Lord, you know, you know who it is, so I just give it to you, and I forgive that person. And it was like a couple weeks later, that person's name, you know, flooded through my mind. And I'm like, so I, I did it like the right way then. But, you know, forgive quickly. Don't hold resentment. We can learn to love unconditionally. See, that's how the Lord loves us. And how can we do that? I can't say I've got it all together yet. Bob would say, don't put conditions on somebody. See, we have expectations. You know, I'm going to love you when you make so much money or when you graduate or, you know, when you quit using foul language. I'm going to love you then. I mean, you, we put conditions on people. And we shouldn't do that. If God put conditions on us, we'd never get saved. You know? So we need to see people the way that he sees us. And that's a prayer that I've had for years is, God, show me how to love your people like you love them. And teach me how to love I want to love them like he does, and I want to love him like he loves me, okay? I'm still learning. I don't have it perfect, but I'm, I'm learning. There's sacrificial love that you would lay down your life for somebody else. And Timothy, you was talking about that this morning. You know, are we willing to really go the extra mile for somebody else? Give when you have nothing to give but give it for somebody else. You know, God's always going to take care of us. Love your neighbor. You know, there was a friend of mine years ago. Her husband died very unexpectedly. And she told me, she said, you know what? My neighbors, they were in this neighborhood for like 25 years. And now she was a widow. And she said, people will literally cross the street so they don't have to talk to me. Yeah, it isn't that they don't like you. They don't really know what to say, you know? What, what would it hurt just for, put your arms around somebody. You don't even have to say anything. Just an act of kindness. Love your enemies. Oh, that's a tough one. Okay. Is it possible? Yeah, it is. Think about that, what I said the Lord told me. He said, I had to love this man. And I'm like, I couldn't. I gave him all the reasons why I couldn't love him. And then he said, but you must love him like I love those who crucified my son. That put things in a perspective. People will do things against you. But you know what? You have probably done things against other people. None of us are perfect. Although Bob would say you're perfect while being perfected. I always liked that. I liked it when he'd remind me of that. See, there's no fear in love. Okay? Are we all awake? Are we getting this? Okay. There's no fear in love. But there's a mature love. And that is the love that 
perfect love or mature love cast out fear. See, when you have the love of the Lord in you, you, there's no room then. You have faith. You don't have fear. Faith is really, fear is faith in the devil. And you can't have both. I hear a voice coming out of the sound. It's echoes. You know what? This is something the Lord spoke to me several years ago was love. It's the question. It's did you learn to love? It's a question that echoes out to all mankind for all eternity. Is that neat? Yeah. Did you learn to love? You know, I used to think about when I was a little girl, I loved my grandmother so much. I loved her more than my mother. And I got to live with my grandparents for a while. And, you know, the Lord took her home. She died of cancer just before my eighth birthday. And I didn't know what cancer was, but I knew that I hated it because it, it like, killed her. And I didn't think I could go on living because I loved my grandma so much. You know, I just wanted to be with her. So at that point, I just wanted to live a good life. I thought, you know, be a good kid, whatever. And when I died, I was going to heaven, not to see Jesus. I was going there to see my grandma. (laughs) Okay. So, and then, you know, I got saved in a Methodist church when I was 11. And see, I was all mixed up in stuff, but I think my heart was in the right place. I heard them say in the church that Jesus was coming back for a bride. So I thought, oh, I prayed and prayed. Oh, please let it be me. I thought it was one person. I did. I did. I tried to be this perfect little person so Jesus would come back and marry me. So I thought, now I was 11 and he was 33. So I think that's when the Lord planted something in my heart. I'd always like older men. Because <laughs> Lynn's dad was 14 years older and Bob was 20 years older. But, but you know, I did. I thought, I thought they said, he's coming back for a bride. So I'm, oh, please, Lord, let it be me. And I would try to be so good. I was living by works. But anyhow. <laughs> yeah, I was going to be Jesus' bride. Now I get to be. How about that? But so do you. So. so the Lord is getting ready to sing the song of the bridegroom. And he's singing it over us. And the song that he's singing, is re- it's going to really deliver the message of love and peace and joy. Okay? But all these things are generated out of love. Everything we do must begin and end in love. See, God is an eternal God, and we are made in his image. We are eternal as well. He is love, period. There's no beginning. There's no end. You know, I probably haven't said this publicly before, but I have this just this, what I like to pray sometimes is I, in fact, I do it often, but I'll say, Lord, you are my eyes and my ears and my tongue and my teeth and my lips and my lungs and my liver. And I go through all these body parts and he's my circulatory system. All that, you know, he is my all in all. He abides in me. You know, every little fiber of my being, he inhabits, you know, 
So I just, I just love him. I just want to be with him, you know. And I want to do all things according to his will and walk in love. I was able to see Bob complete his walk of faith, walk of love. Um, he was a grace prophet, okay? And he really operated out of that place of love. You know, compassion, that love and compassion is what heals people. And that's something, as Bob would say, the um, of the Godhead, we, over 2,000 years ago, we started understanding about Jesus. So we got that revelation of Jesus, and we've been working, you know, through that and understanding. And then over 100 years ago, we got the revelation, the understanding of the Holy Spirit and began working, you know, speaking in tongues and moving in power and authority. But the last revelation will be that of the Father. And God is love. So it's this whole, I'm going to say, movement of love. It's the last, the last thing that's going to happen. This whole army that's arising, it's an army of love. It's his bridal army that's rising up. But she's motivated. You say she or he, whatever. The army that's coming is motivated by love. Because, you know, the enemy has no defense against love. Everything he does is counterfeit. But we have lust over here. But that's not love. That's just the devil. That's what, you know, um, Bob's first wife, Viola, she died in... Um, March of 2005, and the Lord had me tucked away in Alaska and had me praying for Bob, you know, months before. I st he had me begin to pray for him. And at the time that she passed, the Lord showed me I needed to cover him in different areas. Now, he was 75 at the time. Honest, I wouldn't think that women were going to try to um, whatever you know, befriend him, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, try to be his girlfriend, his next wife. But women were after the anointing. That was it. So he was very vulnerable. And even pastors and leaders tried to, quote, fix him up with other women, you know. I know. So, like, when I met him, he was at Morningstar, but the people there were very protective. Leadership was very protective of Bob. And... You know, they didn't want him to get hurt, all right? But, and, and I mean, I really admire them that they were so protective of him. But there was, um, there was a lot of demonic activity around him. He was very vulnerable. And women, the, I guess the one lady tried to fix her girlfriend up with Bob. And this was so funny. She said, oh, my gosh, it'd be like being married to the Pope. You know, and I thought, oh, my gosh. But, you know, women were flocking around him. And I'm like... Jesus, this is terrible. But it was, he, they were after the anointing. It was like, uh, you know, they were Jezebels, you know. So, so see, and they, some came, they just had, I'm going to say a spirit of lust on them. So, you know, we need to use good discernment. 
for you young people, probably I see a lot of young people here, probably unmarried, you know, it's you want to preserve yourself for your spouse. You know, let me say this. I went to Morningstar for a year, and then the Lord sent me out. And the first place I went, it was a big ministry where the Lord sent me. But they did not have um, very good teaching in the church. And it seemed like um, immorality ran rampant there. And this one man that was on the leadership team, he just... Um, wanted to just take me to a hotel to talk to me. And I thought, oh, Buster, we can talk right here. You know, I'm like, what? You know, well, it's like nobody's going to know. I'm like, hello? You know, look, this just, is something wrong up here? You know, like, did you forget God in this equation? You know, I wasn't going to jeopardize, you know, I wasn't where to, then where I am today, but I wasn't going to jeopardize my place with the Lord for, you know, a couple, what, 15 minutes with him? Forget it, you know. It, <laughs> no way, you know. See, that was just this lust that has never been dealt with, and it wasn't dealt with in the leadership of that church, you know. Don't ever think you're just going to sneak off someplace and God's not going to know. What was that song we sang tonight? He sees everything. You can't hide anything from him, you know? So they need to be teaching, um, what's that word? Um, abstinence. Yeah, thanks. They need to be teaching that in the schools and in the colleges and wherever you go, you know, in the church, they need to be teaching it. Okay. If you are with somebody that's not your spouse, then you're in sin, period. I don't care in that homosexual thing. Yeah, well, Bob got killed for it. But you know what? He came back, and he, he kept bringing his message. Now, I got to watch Bob as he passed on to eternity, you know, and he... I'll tell you a little bit about that night. Um, I didn't know till the next day, actually. Uh, Rick Joyner called me and said, where were you, you know, the night Bob passed, where were you at 2 o'clock in the morning? I said, I was with Bob. He said, where was Bob? I said, he was in his bed. Did, did you leave the room? I said, no. You know, Bob had broke his leg, you know, the thigh, and he hadn't walked for weeks. He couldn't get out of bed or anything. So anyhow, Rick said, did Bob leave the room? I said, Rick, you know, he, he couldn't. I mean, he couldn't. I wasn't laughing about it, but I was like, he couldn't. He couldn't get out of bed or anything. And then he began to tell me what happened at 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, this was on Valentine's Day, but 2 o'clock in the morning, um, probably for the last three or four days of Bob's life, he would, about every 20 minutes, he would call into me, and I would put my right arm under his head, and he would put his right arm around my neck. And, and sometimes I could understand what he was saying. Sometimes I couldn't. You know, it was something between him and the Lord. Sometimes he was just praying in tongues. But, you know, he would always end with, thank you, Jesus, amen. And that I'd always understand. 
sometimes he had messages for people, and I'd write it down and call them or, you know. But on that night, um, at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, he called to me, and I had my arms around him, and I knew that Lynn was in South Africa at the time, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, our time on the East Coast would be 9 o'clock in the morning in South Africa, and he was going to minister. So I definitely know where I was, and I planned on, you know, to pray for him at that time to cover him in prayer for his message. Anyway, apparently, even though Bob was in his bed, he made a visit to the security, the head of security that was in the basement of the hospital from 2 in the morning until 5 o'clock. And let me say this, the Lord had sent a, an ice storm called Pax, which means peace. He sent that in the last four days. No one could leave the hospital. No one could enter the hospital. It was like, you know, doctors and nurses couldn't come home, couldn't go home, couldn't leave, nothing, you know. They were just there. And I said, I thank the Lord so much for that, honest, because Bob and I were together all the time. And then, like, the last five weeks of his life, he had to trust other people to take care of him, and I had to allow other people to take care of him, even though I could be there with him a lot. Um, but I wanted, I was very careful who came to visit him. It was, like, by invitation only, because I didn't want anybody who would be drawing something from him. You know, that's the thing. You see, Timothy has this awesome gift, and so did Bob. But people, they were really, I called them bloodsuckers. They were just coming to suck life out of Bob. And they did that all the time. And Bob gave everything he had. But I didn't want anybody that would come to do that. They could only come that would give love and life back to him. So I was very careful about that. But the last four days, you know, like I said, we were kind of separated, even though we were together. But, you know, he had to... I think God was getting ready to take him home and getting me ready to be alone, okay? So that last night, Bob obviously made this visit to this to the head of security to his office. And the man, like I said, everything was in lockdown, so nobody went anywhere. But what happened, Bob, this security guard, he's laying on his little cot, keeps a light on because... If he has an emergency, he doesn't have to readjust his eyes to the light, all right? So he's laying down. He's got his pad and pen, and he hears the buttons on his door, you know, the, what do you call it, like the numbers on the door, security numbers? Yeah, he heard that, ding, 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 and his door opens, and in walks Bob. <laughs> so he, he knew Bob. He, you know, he hadn't seen him for years, but he knew Bob, and so he said, Bob looked, he was in his little nighty, you know, and <laughs> he was in his little nighty, and Bob, he said he just looked so good, and so he thought he must be getting ready to go home the next day. Well, he was, but just not home, home. He was home, home. So, but Bob started, like, jumping up and down. See, the guy didn't even know Bob was in the hospital, but Bob started jumping up and down, and, you know, and the guy said, oh, golly, please, you know, he said he he didn't have underwear on. He said, I saw more than what I wanted to see. So, and he said, I know it was Bob Bob's body because he could see a shadow. 
okay? Now, honest, I know I was still, every 20 minutes, 10 to 20 minutes, I was holding Bob. So I know Bob's body was there, so don't ask me, except this is what happened. So he began to talk to this man, and he told me he wanted to write things down. Well, the man's name is Dan. He saw that Bob had, or Don, he saw that he had blood on his arm. He said, let me clean the blood off your arm. He had some little towels there, and he, Bob said, don't touch me. He said, I haven't yet been changed. If you touch me now, you'll die. It reminded me of Jesus, you know. Don't touch me now if you do. I haven't yet been changed. If you touch me, you'll die. So he didn't. But he began to write down the things Bob said, you know, he had things to tell him. And so he began to write them down. This guy didn't even know Bob was at the hospital. But anyhow, he, he wrote down there was... There were things for different people, different ministries. I believe even though he didn't, this man could not remember everything that he, he wrote down many things and then he just couldn't keep up writing, okay? And Bob said, don't worry about it. It's like your spirit will have it. This man has no platform. He's not a minister. He's nobody of influence. But see, God chose him before the foundation of the world, he chose him to receive this message because he wasn't going to use it the wrong way. But he, he wrote everything down, and Bob told him at one point, he said, I want you to honor me. And this man said, I do honor you, Bob. And he said, no, I want you to honor me. And he said, I do honor you, Bob. He said, no, I want you to honor me. It's like, feed my sheep. See? Mm-hmm, three times. And I don't think it's so much that it was a message to that man to honor him. I know that man deeply respected Bob. I think it was a message to the church. Yeah, honor me. So I had no clue. Like I said, Bob, to my knowledge, Bob is there. I'm holding him, you know, till probably about 4.30. He kind of went to sleep and and rested. So I didn't hold him, you know, till just before he passed then, like an hour or so later. But it's amazing. See, back, um, let's see, about 10 days earlier, Bob went to the hospital. He was in, he was in the hospital, then he was in uh, rehab, and then he had like a day and a half that it was supposed to be an extended care and he almost died there. We took him into ER. And at that point, Bob was so near death, but he, he said to me, I have double lights on my eyes. I'm up the stairs and at the door. Okay? This was in ER. And there was these two huge angels, resurrection angels. They were there, and Bob was going like this. Okay, go away. He wasn't ready. See, the ER doctor, and I called him my hippie dude doctor, he was tall and had long hair and tattoos and earrings. I mean, but he was our doctor. And he was explaining to me, you know, he wants me to sign these papers just to let Bob die. And I said, I can't do that. 
because you know what, there's all these papers that they have to do paperwork and they're gonna have to do this and that and the next thing. And if you just sign these papers, they'll just die and we don't have to do anything. <laughs> so I said to Bob, why, I said to the doctor, <laughs> I said, I can't do that. I said, I said, I don't know where you are in your faith, but I said, he's a seer prophet and he can see things that you can't see in the natural. And I'm just trying to discern what is real and what is spiritual. And he said, I said, right now he's talking to the, he said, look, he's hallucinating. I said, no, he's telling those angels to go away. And he's like, what angels? And I'm like, right there. It's like, this guy couldn't see him, but they were huge, you know. And that guy's like, oh, it must be terrible. I said, no, really, it's very interesting to discern this. And he just like dashed out of there, okay. <laughs> he was going like this, you know, okay, here's the doors, but he's like, Okay, let me out of here quick. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So then he sent the kidney doctor in and the cardiologist in, and, you know, they both said the same thing. We'll just have the papers waiting over here. But I said to Bob, I said, I mean, he was just barely breathing, but I said, if they needed to put the paddles on you again like they did in 2007, you know, I said, if you ran into a problem like that, would you want them to put those paddles on you? Because, see, he knew, and I didn't, and I wasn't giving my okay. I wasn't signing any paper till I knew. But he said, yes. And I said, okay. So they took him from there. They did some x-rays to a holding area and then up to his room. And he was in room 365, which are the years of Enoch. And I'm like, yes, okay. And he seemed to get a breath of fresh air, you know. He, he seemed to be revived somewhat. We went through quite a few experiences with Bob, and he had these, like, I'm calling prophetic acts. Because, like, he, he wanted desperately to get up and walk, and, I mean, he just, he just couldn't. But we sat him on the side of the bed, and he, he only weighed, like, 160 pounds at this point, but I'm telling you what, he was, it took, what, four and five people to try to lift him. But we got him sitting on the side of the bed, and he basically rocked back and forth, and we had to assist him. But he kept going at this like 20 minutes. And I, you know, when he was done, he said, I defeated the devil. He said he was trying to take joy and gladness from the church, and he defeated him. And see, that's why this joy is coming, you know? Joy and love and peace. Okay. So he defeated him. The devil didn't. Devil didn't get. He didn't get it. It's a trophy that the the church has. The devil didn't get. So you know there was many angels that showed up. There was a lot of different things that happened in that like eight days and what have you. And it was it was just amazing different things that happened. But the night that he passed, and it was like probably four o'clock in the morning. So I don't know how he's down in the basement having conversation with this man when he's up there in the room with me and he was punching, you know. I, he said, he kept saying, get out of here, get out of here. And I said, me, like I'm the only one there. He said, no, the devil, don't you see him? Honest, I didn't see the devil. And he said, see, Bob was trying to go up the stairs. Remember, he was going up the stairs. He was up the stairs and at the door. This time he's trying to get up there and the devil is in his way. He can't get there. So we had definitely had some warfare that night. And yet Bob, I think he's there and he's someplace else. 
I don't understand it, but I know it happened. But you know what? He fought the good fight of faith to the very end. And see, if I would have signed those papers when he was in ER, he would not have completed all that God had called him to do. All right? That's what, when that day in ER, he knew, he knew the Father. He had such an intimate relationship with the Father. And it isn't that he's the only one that could have that. We all are entitled to it, okay? But he knew the will of the Father, and Father still had work for him to do. Something that the, the Lord kept having me study while I was, those last few days, was about the Samaritan woman and Jesus visiting her. And, you know, she, you know that she has a revelation. He is the Christ. And, and the disciples come and they say, you know, they've just brought food. And he said, I have food you know not of. And what is that? He said, it's to do the will of the Father and complete his work. That's what Bob did. He completed all that God had for him to do. So when he took his last breath, you know, this time, I'm telling you what, he got that kiss. He died with a, with a smile on his face. He was puckered up and ready to go, you know. So did he complete all that God called him to do? Absolutely, you know. I just I just thank God that I didn't do something foolish. I mean, it was difficult. See, love, love can be painful. It was hard to watch Bob go through what he did, but, you know, I, I could not do anything until on the afternoon of, of the 13th. Like I said, Bob always had me there and praying, you know, but that time he was very clear, and he said, uh, thank you, Jesus, for Bonnie. Bless her, Lord. And he said, Lord Jesus, come take me home. And then he said, thank you, Jesus, amen. I knew then that he was ready. But up until that time, you know, despite the difficulty of, you know, I just kept praying for him that he wouldn't have the pain and that it, things would be, and I did. I prayed, God, he's your friend, you know, please take him home. But honest, I got really selfish then. I was watching the hours. I, th I knew the time would be important, and I saw, like, okay, like his favorite number, you know, 341. I'm watching at the time. I'm like, Lord, please let it be even as one minute after midnight because it would be Valentine's Day, and that's God's message of love to the body of Christ, you know. So, and he did. He died on Valentine's Day. So, you know, and I just thought it was God's message to the church. His message, did you learn to love? And Bob sure did. He loved. He loved all peoples, especially children, you know. But anyhow. Well, what can I say about that? I sound like Bobby Connor now, but all I can say is, you know, well, there you go. Well, yeah. So I miss my baby Bob, but, you know, I know that I get to carry on his message. And, you know, I think, I think the Lord really wants to come back sooner than what we're wanting him to do it. You know, we need to learn to walk in love. We can do it. We can really do it. I know we can. Can you? Yes, absolutely.
So you know what? I'll be honest. I didn't know when I married Bob. He was 76. And I had no clue what his medical history was, you know. I just know he's a little bit ornery. <laughs> Uh, he Well, he was, you know. I mean, he just was. He told me when we were, quote, dating, you know, he wanted me to come over and I'll show you my etchings. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Okay. You know, he was just always wanting to kiss, kiss, kiss. Uh, but <laughs> for real. But <laughs> um, I must have had an awful thought there, a funny thought. You know, um, I did. That train went right right through my brain. Um, yeah, it must have been a good thought. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't supposed to share that. I forget what it was. I didn't. Thank you for reminding me. Well, I didn't know anything about his medical history. You know, and um, I didn't know he had all these problems. All I know, Bob and I both married out of obedience. You know, the Lord told me I would marry him, told Bob, you know, about six weeks after his wife died that he had prepared somebody and gave him all these details, 50 details about me. I didn't know I had that many, but so, <laughs> but we married out of obedience to the Lord, and we love the Lord, you know, in loving the Lord, we learn to love each other. And not that, you know, everything was always bliss because, you know, we were like for real people and people have disagreements. But you know what? Because we loved the Lord, we loved each other and we grew in that love. And that's what we really expressed to everybody to, to love one another and you can do that. When Bob, um, we were married like a year and a half when he coded, you know, and see, it was not his time to go home, you know. And I'm, I'm just thankful that God made me the way that I was, that I was going to stand there and say no to the devil. You aren't going to take him, you know. You aren't going to take him. As Timothy has said several times, see, when you get married, the two become one. The he of we couldn't speak, you know, they're doing all these things on him, he was gone, but the me of we could, and I'm like, no, I'm standing in there saying, no, you can't have him, he hasn't completed what God's called him to do, that's power of the spoken word, you know, we can't be wimpy in these days, we've got to stand up for what's right, and against that which is wrong, there's great power in our words, and we need to be using them. You know, we can defeat the enemy. You know, if we don't want to, then suffer defeat. But, you know, <laughs> you live with the consequences of choices you make, good or bad. Okay? Okay, you got that. You know, I didn't want to get married, period. I just didn't. I had this place with Jesus. Why why complicate things with a man? <laughs> well, that's what I thought. That's what I believed. Yep. Oh, Bob had other plans. He saw this sweet young thing, as he said, you know, and boy, he was hot to trot. <laughs> yeah, he was going to get that honey that the Lord promised him. So, oh, boy. 
So he did, but but you know what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what happened? Honest to goodness, we got married at we got married at Morning Star. We did hotter than a pepper sprout. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, give me a drink. <laughs> we had this small. We had a very small and intimate wedding. Lynn gave me away, but at Morningstar, yeah, there was probably like, mm, what, a thousand people that showed up. <laughs> yeah, that was just, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, but you know what? Bob looked so just dapper, whatever. He did, him and his tuxedo, and I'm telling you, his little white feathers, he just looked so just cute. And uh, and I'll tell you, there was people came from all over for this. And I thought, it was honest, it was the nicest wedding I've ever been to. And I got to be the bride, you know. <laughs> but I knew that day, walking down the aisle, that I was walking into my destiny. Because Bob couldn't complete his walk without me. I mean, I'm saying, I'm the one that God chose to walk with Bob. But he couldn't complete his walk without me, and I couldn't get to where I need to be without him. So God put us together, you know, for his plan, for his purpose, you know, and um, <laughs> it was a blast. But I'm glad that he, I'm just really glad that I didn't agree with those doctors and say, okay, you know, it would have been easy to sign the papers. But I, I don't think I'd ever been able to really forgive myself but now I know I did the right thing, you know. It can be painful. Love can be painful. It's hard to watch somebody go through something like that. But, you know, it's so rewarding because I know that he totally finished his walk well. And I feel the whole body. I don't understand a lot of the things that took place in those few days you know, there was a lot of angelic activity, a lot of things, a lot of warfare that we did. But God knows. I don't think it's really important that we know that we'd had an incident with the clock, where the clock was, like, speeded up and everything. And I felt there was real acceleration in the spirit. God was really speeding things up. There has been a delay, but now we can go full throttle. So, but you know what? We are all part of the body. And we all must work together. You know, we've got to do this. Churches have to come together. Families need to come together. The devil is just working overtime trying to get people divided. You know, and, um, you know, we're the only ones that can turn that around. You know, when something is said, If it's, if it's your neighbor, if it's your spouse, you know, a, a sibling, a parent, child, whatever, whatever, whoever you're talking to, if the slightest bit you don't understand, okay, if there's some misunderstanding, a little one, clarify it right away. Because that's where the enemy is getting in, especially in marriages. The smallest thing. I know Timothy said something today, and I'm like, I wasn't sure what that word meant. I don't understand big words. I think God made me that way. I try real hard to understand them, and they, they just don't click in here. So I'm like, can you tell me what that means so I don't misunderstand? I'm not too proud to say that. 
if we don't deal with the little thing, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, then you know what? Husbands and wives don't talk. And you know what? Then they're sleeping in separate bedrooms. And you know what? Then they're in court. We can change all that. Get the little bitty things. Deal with them before they get big. Bob and I did that. Bob and I took communion every day. Okay? And if him and I had a disagreement about something, you know, it's like, because one of us got too stubborn to say, I'm sorry, you know, I'm wrong, or I'm sorry. If we, if we did that, and it happened a couple times, we wouldn't take communion. Not until we worked out whatever that situation was. Okay? And then we kissed and made up and took communion. See? But we can do that. You know, think about the blood of Jesus. Cover that with the blood of Jesus. If it's your neighbor, if it's your teacher, your boss, whatever, you know, don't let the enemy get a foothold. Well, you know what? Hey, I think I'm done. So <laughs> thank you for... <laughs> Oh, cheers, cheers. <laughs> Thank you for... Oh, that's okay. Okay, let's all stand. Okay. <laughs> hey, just thank you for, for listening, whatever. And I just pray, Lord, bless them with your love. Let them walk in. There's such power in the love of Jesus. So, Lord, I just ask you to release your love, impart your love, rest your love upon them. Let them be that part of your bridal army in power, in might. Lord, wash them with your love. May they go from this place just knowing you, the person of love. Okay. Okay. Amen. And Lynn is going to do something over here. Okay. You all know this song. And if you don't, well, you'll learn it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus name on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand now I tricked you didn't I because I rewrote it Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
This is why he called me a bass player. 